Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, another episode of digging deeper into the love and grace of God, of the Trinity, um, and exploring topics that need to be revisited. And that's what we've been doing for the last uh, two years on Still Growing in Grace. And there's some pretty hot topics out there. There's deconstruction. Again, I did a whole mini series on deconstruction and had discussions with my panelists that I will have on today again on that very topic. So there's much to learn and much to unlearn that we may or may not be aware of. Um, today, we're going to continue in our discussion. But before I get going on that, I want to say hello to Sandra. Um, good morning, Sandra. First one to pipe in and say hi. It's really cool. But today I'm wearing a shirt. This is from, uh, I'll just kind of sit up a bit. This is from uh, uh, David Hayward, uh, the naked pastor, and it says ally, and it's in, uh, it's saying, uh, I welcome and love and include the LGD, LGBTQ community, still can't roll that off my tongue, um, uh, in, in the most loving way I can. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I haven't figured it all out, but love wins. That's my point. So I've, I've watched some disturbing conversations on a dear friend's Facebook post uh, in the last couple of days. And um, uh, yeah, the fangs are out. It's like, seriously, people? Um, I knew it would happen with this topic. Here's why. Because in our journey of learning and unlearning, um, I've discovered there are some topics that uh, are really tough. Like they're so big, you don't even know how big they are because they're, they're almost hidden deep in you. Hell is one of them. That's why we're having this discussion on what is hell. Not so much does it exist, blah, blah, blah. Um, you'll, you'll catch all that in these discussions. But I knew that the um, um, LGBTQ community topic uh, will come up at some point. And the most unloving people on this topic are, are Christians. They really are. It's brutal, um, especially well-legalized uh, believers, westernized mostly, um, that have bought the Kool-Aid. I, I, I kind of did. I better save this for another conversation, but I tell you, there's more going on than what we have been told. There's more going on in the translations that we have that seem to feed the hate towards that community. Um, I'm feeding love, love and light. That's why I wear the shirt. And uh, I want to, in Canada, it's, it's Pride Month. And so uh, some of my Christian friends are really not happy that I have anything to do with it. So you're a pastor. You're supposed to be standing for truth. I am. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's my rant for this morning. It's very frustrating. So let's uh, dig into this conversation with Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher. We're going to continue. This is part three on what is hell. And uh, these discussions um, are like a, a, a rose in a sense that there's start the, the drier petals fall off. There's more. There's more. There's layers and layers on this topic. And I hope you're catching 
a really neat essence of why this topic must be discussed. Because people have preconceived beliefs about hell that were just spoon-fed to them and there's zero thought given to it. If you're in the Western Evangelical Church, you have been spoon-fed um, the basics of what uh, the common beliefs on hell. When there's much more, there, there are more perspectives than just that one. I promise. And some of the other perspectives have far more hope and love built into them than, than the eternal torment uh, uh, concept. And again, we, we unpack that. All right. Without further ado, let us begin our wonderful interview uh, with Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray and myself. Here we go. Oh, man. I hope you heard that. I'll add that out. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Still Growing Grace. Uh, welcome to Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray. And we're going to continue our conversation on the topic of hell, um, what it is, what it isn't. I love, uh, in fact, some people have mentioned they've really appreciated how we've been discussing it. And uh, I think the tone will continue. Um, we ended up dabbling on the love of God and the fire of God. We dabbled on some other things. So I'd like to hear your insight and word what are people still struggling with what are the tripping uh points on this topic that are giving people a hard time that you're seeing from your perspective so let's let's just kind of see where this goes yeah i mean i i'll tell you the one thing that i think people still to this day struggle with the most from my perspective um are as ironic as it is the words of jesus himself and some of Jesus's very direct uh, descriptions and seeming criticisms against people and the, the, the kind of idea that Jesus is basically telling a certain group of people that they are going to experience some very literal torment, right? And the irony, I, I, at least I think, in my, my, my experience in the past is, is when we actually look at who Jesus is speaking to collectively. What context? What's that got to do oh, with it? Yeah. It's always a 180 from what the church is kind of conveying, or I say the church, the institutional church that I'm, I'm familiar with, they're talking about the sinner is going to hell, right? That's ironically never what Jesus is really saying, right? Jesus is saying the, the, the hypocrite and the keeper of law you're the one that's going to experience this hellacious, and I don't like the word hell because he's not using the word hell almost ever in this scenario. You think that's a problem? You think that could be part of the problem? <laughs> it could be, right? But this, this hellacious experience or place or state of being or whatever we want to consider it, I think that's the hangup that Jesus did. He was very direct with a very intentional group of people, um, and, and he expressed some very pragmatic truths um, that I think literally happen, but I think there's also very figurative um, um, and, and allegorical impl uh, you know, implications from those words of Christ himself about who we are as humans and, and how we approach this thing that is existence and life and faith and practice and religion and all these kind of variables. What have you heard, Richard? Well, what are the big hangups that you've you've perceived? Because you've wrote about this, and by the way, we got links below uh, in the description now of all the stuff you've provided on that topic, especially. It's it's all there. Yeah, uh, guys, I think that uh, 
a big part of it is that there's a lack of imagination, a lack of uh, sanctified imagination. Uh, there's a lot of fearful imagination out there, but there's a lack of sanctified imagination to even just spend some brain cells about the about God's nature. Let's let's look at God's nature. What's the per? If you were all powerful and your constituent element was love, God is love. There's only two constituent elements that I see that the New Testament attributes to God. That's God is light and uh, God is love. It says those two things. Those are those. That's different than saying he. You know, he he may he may operate in this. Yeah. You know, he may operate in this or he may operate in that. Those are the two things that are that constitute his being light and love. So if an all powerful God of light and love, we, we ask ourselves, what kind of punishment would that who is the father of all, you know, who's called the father of all and the father of lights? What kind of punishment would such would such a creature impose? And it's it's uh, to me, the, the people you know, they, they put more confidence in sin and their ability to sin than in his ability to, to, to rectify us and to reconcile us. And it's, I mean, we're talking, are we really that good? I always tell people, you know, to, you know, that say, oh, no, if you say no, you only get one chance, you know, at the end of this life. And you, you say no, it's forever. Are, are we really that good? I mean, is our willpower really strong enough that you can resist the God of creation who is sending wave after wave after wave of love to you? Well, listen, Whether it's, it, it's all about us, remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> but wave after wave after wave of cascading love, showing you things, taking you on a Scrooge-like walkabout in the postmortem. Do you really think that you've got the strength of will to resist an all-powerful, a non-coercive, but all-powerful God who knows you better than you know yourself? He knows your triggers. He knows the things that will touch you. He knows the things that can bring you back from your insanity. It's just, why don't we use our imagination that way? And, and really, uh, what well, we may have said this last time, but Brad Jerzak had asked for just some simple ideas of how we inject certain things into, into just our daily lives that could turn this around, that could turn the ship around on what people presume about hell and about, about violence and about other things. And my, my contribution to it was just this idea of, that we take our kids when they are young and we, we, we teach them over and over and over and over again that the purpose of punishment is rehabilitation. It's not revenge. It's not vindictiveness. It's not eye for an eye, but it, it, it is to rehabilitate and reconcile them. Mm-hmm. All right. And if because our first impulse about punishment allows for hell, if we really understood what divine punishment is, we wouldn't accept hell just no, trusting in that. And I believe if God does anything, it's that he restores, he cures us to restore us. And I was thinking, I had this very thought today about how, how horrible things can be between humans, because we steadfastly refuse to know both sides of the story. We only know our side of the story or those who we favor. We only know one side of the story. We might, you know, when I have a jury, I'm looking for a jury that's willing to listen to both sides of the story fairly fair and balanced. God is the only one who knows both sides of every person's story, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, the just and the unjust. He knows all those things and he knows how to correct it. He knows how to minister to it. He knows how to rehabilitate it. And we have to trust that his ability to save us 
you know, to the uttermost to save the worst of us, to save the best of us. But really, if all our thoughts were known, our dark thoughts were known, who wouldn't amongst us wouldn't be the worst? You know, uh, I, I mean, really, you know, and that's what Jesus is saying. You know, if you think it, you're a murderer. If you think it in your heart that, well, that's just rhetoric. I don't I really think he meant it because he, he's speaking to the you know, he's speaking to our uh, he's speaking to the, the beauty that we're to have within. And if our beauty within is not is not beautiful, then it's, you know, in one sense, it is just as bad as if you do it. If you think about it, he wants to cure us all the way through. He's looking for a quality cure. We all need curing and continual curing and ongoing curing. So I, as a sickness, then, not as a. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. So do you think justice and definition of justice may have something to do with this? Because people keep talking about judgment. There's always a fear of judgment. We're going to be judged. We're going to stand before the throne and be judged. And unfortunately, I'm certain you guys have seen those little booklets from way back. Check publications. This was your life. I gave those away because my mom told me to like crazy. We bought them in 50 and 100 packs. And it's a story that, hey, when you die, you're going to be sitting up in heaven watching this super plasma screen of all the bad things you've ever done. Every bad thought is going to be on that screen for the entire creation to watch with you. And you better have more good stuff there like it's just do you remember that track it just scares the hell out of you and then uh then you get tossed in this flaming lake and uh, like this is the evangelism track yeah i thought and there's a whole ton of that stuff out they're not just chick publications many others but it's that system thinking that judgment and justice will be payback which is a roman greco system not a Hebrew system, right? Um, right? I think it was Brad Jerzak who best phrased it. it says, or it was might have been Paul Young, where um, our justice that we understand today is about paying back. It's about payback, but right. Jesus is about put back, restoration to put back to restore. That's yeah. what Jesus has come, and that, but that doesn't enter the discussion on hell because we assume there's a bad judgment coming even for believers. No, I, I wholly agree. And I think, you know, that is a cultural thing. And, and, and it's not going to change overnight uh, within the collective of, of Christian faith. There's a, there has to be a, uh, a transfiguration of the church to, to re-understand, I think, some of these variables, justice and judgment especially. And they all tie together. All these are interwoven, you know, hell, judgment, justice, uh, redemption. We have these words that that have have almost to some degree kind of got off course. Right? Well, we have law. Listen, we got law and order on TV. We got yeah. uh, Richard in a courtroom every day. So how do you separate the definitions and flip between what those words mean? Like, well, I think we have a lot of those metaphorical pictures. We do have this idea of a courtroom as as kind of the you know this moment of of you know metaphorical. Uh, judgment. Judgment is a part of scripture. I mean, we, we, we have that, right? We have these variables of good and evil these, that, that, that are seemingly in combat with us. And, and you know, you have this idea of you got the, you know, your advocate and you have, you know, the, the Satan over there telling you, you know, all your bad stuff and judges, judges are going to hear both sides of the argument. And, and we've set a lot of these things up in our culture, in our, um, 
in our systems of government, in our, you know, uh, social and economics, you know, kind of things. Heck, we do it even on just the interpersonal levels. You know, um, I, I know marriages, unfortunately, that are just based on this quid pro quo relationship. And that's just what happens is Jesus, if we allow Jesus to become that exact representation of God, he begins to, to take these metaphors that have been so established throughout human society, going even pre-Greco-Roman, right? And he begins to, to literally, metaphorically <laughs> flip them, flip the tables on the, these images, that there is a courtroom. The challenge is, I have my dad sitting on the throne, right? And there's absolutely not a single thing that that guy could ever say that's going to prevent him from saying anything other than innocent, because he's taken everything off the table before it's even pronounced, right? And that's that's the 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 like, oh, Jesus has already that it is finished wasn't about that was the judgment. That is the absolute final end all be all gavel stamp judgment. It is finished. Mercy is all I'm interested in. I'm not interested in sacrifice. Go learn the meaning of that. I've revealed to you the nature of my, my father and the spirit who lives inside of you through this moment, right? This is the courtroom. These are my witnesses on my right and left. One rejects me. One accepts me. Both of them, I say, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? <laughs> Wait, and that's what, if you look in context, it's right when the guy on the left and right when the guy on the right, that's when he says those words, right? And even his disciples, they said, we want to be on your, on your throne to your right and your left. And he's like, you don't know what you're asking. You, you don't want those roles. That was the coronation of the king who was going to pronounce the judgment and bring the justice, not through retribution, not through venge, vengeance, not through, you know, these, these eye for an eye mechanism, right? But in other words, hey, you can slap me a thousand times. I'm going to pour over you a thousand times, a thousand times of grace upon you. Seven times 70 is what you're going to get in return for the seven, seven strikes you get in me. You know, so this idea of God's justice unveiled in only the person Jesus just flips the script on all of those metaphors. Yeah, the good. And, and you know, the uh, the other thing is here's a lot of people may not have heard this statistic before, but if we take the King James, the new King James, let's just pick that's a decent Bible translation. I mean, you know, it kind of it's it's updated and doesn't have some of the all, all the uh, all the difficult language in it. Do you know that the word justice appears nowhere in the New Testament? No, I didn't. Now, now that is a rather stunning statistic. Now, the word that is uh, translated as justice is, I believe, is diakinesis, something along those, those lines. Um, uh, Dikezone uh, is, is the word. And it's usually, it is in the New Testament, but it's usually translated as righteousness. Mm -hmm. All right. Where, where has justice gone? It has gone mm -hmm. into righteousness. All right. And I think that that's an amazing uh, whereas you can see love, how many times do you think love is in the New Testament? You know, how many times do you think light is in the New Testament? And we can deconstruct the whole concept of justice with 10 verses in the New Testament. And it's mm -hmm. on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye. Now, that's justice, eye for an eye. That's right. He said, uh-uh, no, it's turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, curse your enemy, hate your enemy. No, I tell you We, we got four cheeks, be careful. 
<laughs> yeah, well, boy, what a picture that is. <laughs> uh, but but anyhow, time after time, uh, justice is deconstructed. At least Caesar's justice. And I understand that you know Caesar performs a function here, and there's some level of justice that he operates in. But that's a justice that doesn't know both sides. And it's a justice that doesn't know how to really restore and reconcile. Mm. It's, it's a justice that is necessary for humanity's fractured state to try to diminish and minimize the violence we do to each other. But it's not curative. And when it tries to be every now and then something can break through. But overall, it's not based on curative, on being curative. It's based on being penal and, and, and uh, vindictive um, and punishing, you know, for punishment's sake. The, the whole word, a colossus, um, one of the, uh, that's the only word that's used for punishment in the Gospels. Um, and if you look at that word, it means, um, it, it basically means um, to prune somebody back so that they can have fuller growth. And then another word um, that's used throughout the New Testament is tomoria, um, which, uh, now, I said that was the only word used in the Gospels. I wasn't speaking of the, of the other uh, books in the New Testament. But Tamoria is there, and, and it, it um, you know, it's another word that's used. You know, there's basically two words that are used for punishment. One has to do for the interest of the victim, and the other has to do to restore the, the person who's offended. You know, so, so they're both addressed. I want to cure this person that's doing this. That's right. All right. And we may end up looking like, uh, milk sops and weak on crime and weak on all these things, but we are called above all else to, to reconcile everything and everybody to Christ. Sure. And that's what, where his heart is. He is a God of reconciliation. And if, if we could just train ourselves, if we could just train ourselves to, um, you know, to come at it from that angle, for that to be our first thought, how does this situation redeem? How is this serial killer? How can the serial killer be redeemed? You know, how can this racist, how can we show him mercy? How can we, how can we operate in, in the Sermon on the Mount? And the, the, the passages are, are Matthew 5, 38 through 48, where, where we see that God's perfection lies in how he loves and blesses his enemies, not in how he loves and blesses those who love and bless him, but how he loves and blesses his enemies. That's, and he says, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. So we, th that's your justice is there is to love your enemy and to bless him and to pray for him, for those who despitefully use us. Now, you show me what justice system ever says anything like that. I would argue that, that there is no, you know, that who, who, who was the victim of injustice more than Jesus? All throughout his life, he was a victim of injustice, left and right. And ultimately, he dies on the cross, bearing the, bearing the weight of all our sicknesses and, and, and not doing a thing to deserve it. All right. And yet he says, Father, forgive them all. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. The whole concept of Jesus is so beautiful with, mm. with, with how he treats these things. And we're, we're, if we're even thinking about justice, we're, we're not on the right mode. But we're not on the right uh, station. We're not on the right channel. Frequency. frequency. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Frequency. Something is wrong with our tone because we've let the debate go somewhere where the New Testament doesn't debate it. It corrects it. It doesn't debate it. It corrects it. That's right. Oh, when I ended one of our talks, I, I said something. I had, it wasn't recorded, but I said we were, we've been arguing and we are arguing about what it isn't. Right. That's where half the, the arguments in the church are. They say it's this and, and all the, the things they say it is. It absolutely isn't. Hence, we're arguing about what something it isn't. So let's find out what it is. It's like you just so, said a really. Oh, so, Bill, you're, you're itching oh, to say something there. 
it's so counterintuitive to what the mechanisms of this world convey to us. It, it really is. It's, it, it doesn't seem to make sense to, it, it, is, it, is, it is a supernatural. It's beyond what we would observe inside of just normal nature. You know, when we even look at just evolutionary bio, biology and all these kind of facets, survival of the fittest, all these kind of variables that are, are, are on the surface level uh, of creation. It, it is, there's a depth, you know, deep calls upon deep here. And that, Richard, I think goes back to what you said right at the very beginning, this imaginative, this explorative, this contemplative thing that is so much bigger than what is, is, is surface level or superficial, right? And, and this idea of forgiveness, even Jesus talks about it, you know, in that same service on the mount, you know, that's, this is the one kind of variable, the tipping point for any individual to, to know peace or to, to find torment. And I don't think that is a God thing. That is a, it is a God thing, but it's a subjective God thing. It's not a, it's not a, you go down the down escalator or you go up the up escalator and there's some condition you have to meet. What it is, it's a state of mentality. It's a state of being that if we are off frequency, right? We're out of sync. It's, it's something that we can't control and that brokenness ensues. And, and then, you know, it has a ripple effect on our entire world. And I think that's kind of what it gets back to when it says, you know, all creation is groaning, like these pains of childbirth. It's just on its, its tiptoes, desiring, waiting for the sons, the co-heirs, the, the, you know, the children of God to make themselves manifest and wake up to the idea that if we just turn the other cheek, if we just forgive one another, if we act through mercy and kindness, healing will absolutely fundamentally begin to spark alive but instead what we do is we legalize it right like that right it's like oh we found the solution we found the formula so slap a law on it right this situation that works so slap a law on it treat everybody through every situation the exact same way we found it and now all of a sudden the, the, the law empowers sin and we get back in the cycle of brokenness again and it, it's ah it, it's such a paradox, but I, I do agree with you too that that this is this idea of divine justice is so it's anticipating us as a collective humanity as well as each individual awakening to this idea that saying I forgive you to the most egregious of offenses is the only way that we're actually going to heal this 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 thing that is life that is love that is being. Can I say something real quick? I wanted to make sure I gave you the, the right words on that. It, it, Colossus is the punishment. That's the only time Jesus ever said that word punishment was Colossus. And that is the person who is being punished. It's for their welfare. It's to help the person being punished. That's what that form of punishment is. There is another Greek word for punishment, tamoria. And that is what is uh, basically for vengeance. That's for the, uh, the person who was wrong to begin with. Like we're wanting... We're wanting that person to feel avenged for the wrong that was done to them. It has nothing to do with a person who's being punished. Um, so, so that's, and that's, and it's really no different today. I mean, those are the two, you know, when people talk about what's the purpose of prison, you know, unfortunately about 98% of the people say it's Tamoria. Very few people say it's Colossus, but you do have some compassionate wardens and some compassionate people in the system that do try to aim it that way. But God, I mean, people don't have any sympathy for child abusers. They don't have any sympathy for that. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how little imagination we use. Those are the people we should have the most sympathy for. 
and, and the children as well. But it's almost a different form of sympathy. You know, it, it's uh, but we're not we haven't even tapped into that, really, if you think about it you know, that, 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 what that sympathy and empathy would look like towards the ugliest, towards the Hitlers, towards the, you know, towards the Mussolini's, towards right. the monsters. You know, we, unfortunately, we fall into supporting a gospel that only, that only, and, and I, and, and listen, Jesus did sympathize with the victims, but what we miss about him is he sympathized with the offenders Bingo. too. Yes. And, and, and I think that's what, when I believe it's Paul who, who reframes vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? It's not, hey, God's going to be your new, he's going to have a bigger baseball bat than you and take his pound of flesh out on your enemies. That's not what it meant. It's I'm taking that spirit away from you and I'll absorb it into my flesh on the cross and I'm going to respond with love and mercy. You don't have to worry about that, that, you know, retribution style of justice or judgment anymore. I got this. Vengeance yeah, is mine. Let me, right. let me absorb your vengeance and respond the way I respond. And then you're going to start mirroring what I am. And good. Yet, That's good. And yet the narrative in the church around the, well, at least in North America, the narrative is God's going to get you in the end. Anyway, God's yep. Just don't worry. God's justice. Jesus is, I've heard it. Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Look busy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> With a sword coming out of his mouth. Oh, oh my goodness. So Bison heads, blood running in the rivers. <laughs> this comes back down to the underlying perspectives and paradigms that we're believing from. It's those systems that must change. That's what I'm seeing. Like you mentioned a word earlier um, uh, about pruning. I think we, was it was it pruning you were talking about? Yeah, it was that same Colossus, the one, okay. the one that punishes to restore the person. It made me think of the the story of the vines, um, where the the Jesus is talking about uh, the vine. The vine person will come, and he'll he'll the word says cut off. In some translations, will say he'll cut off, and then which then gets transferred to if you're thinking of the paradigm of lake fire and uh, eternal damnation, um, then the preachers have said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to burn because look, you get cut off, but it's the wrong translation. It's the wrong word. The word doesn't mean cut off. It actually means lift up because the value of that vine is so big and there's dirt, there's mold that grows. If it isn't, if it's too full of stuff. And so the, the vine dresser loves the whole plant. So cleans and washes and purifies those leaves and lifts them up, not cut off. Very horrible translation. And even, and even in the passage in John where, uh, where Jesus is talking about burning branches and taking yeah, branches right and after putting that. them away. But he says, so that there may be fuller growth. <laughs> you know, we're, we're the fuller growth. It, he's not throwing us into the fire. He's throwing the unproductive parts of us, the unproductive ideas, the, the, barren, the barren notions, the barren impulses. You know, uh, that's what he's throwing into the fire so that we can then grow with a healthy growth that's of God. I, this, Richard, I'm going to tee you up on this because it's just can, kind can, of can you hold on on that one? We're going to do that for part two. We're just oh. going to we're going to go. We're going to jump right to part two. We're going to get you to summarize what you just said, Richard, in a moment. Uh, but our time's up for this one. And I look forward to seeing everyone next week for part three. This, this is part three. So next week will be part four. So uh, <laughs> just because our time's up, I want to make sure we uh, have time for the second conversation as well. So thanks for watching. We'll catch you guys all later. Bye-bye. Hit stop. Wow. I, I hope you're starting to see uh, uh, how big and important this topic is. Um, we probably don't realize that our belief 
about hell, so to speak, whether it's conscious or unconscious, affects our understanding of how we read the scriptures. Like today, we just heard two biggies on judgment and uh, um, vengeance. That was beautiful. I love that part. Like, did you catch that? Like, when we say vengeance is mine, it's not God's going to get you. Uh, it's love's going to win. And he's going to, I love how he worded it, absorbed it into us. Whatever we think our definition of that is, it then gets absorbed into Christ and the correct definition uh, comes out. Like, I think I think in part two they they continue on that some more. So you're gonna have to wait till next week for that one. Sorry, uh, but really really great discussion. Uh, I love the the concept of the vine and the branches. Um, that one again, if you have this concept of eternal torment and this lake of fire that God's gonna roast you forever for not believing what He hopes you'll believe and He created you to believe, but Anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, if you believe that or come from that perspective, then you're going to read through a lens very different. Let me give you an example from a movie. Um, it was National Treasure when they were looking at the back of the map, um, these, these um, uh, artifact hunters. And so they find these cool glasses, put them on, has like a couple layers, uh, like lenses on them, colored lenses. And suddenly they see 3D dimensional uh, image on the back of the confederation document whatever it's called i forget the uh i can't remember it right now um uh, declaration of independence that's it um but suddenly they see a 3d map and go whoa the lens suddenly changed and then they flip the uh, colors and it changed again it's like oh my goodness and this is what it seems to be like uh, digging deeper into what we think is obvious what we think the bible plainly says Listen, the Bible says nothing overly plainly except Jesus. <laughs> that He's come, He was coming, and pointing to Christ, and that what He did for us. So, I think I'm finding more peace in knowing uh, that there's a much wider understanding. The love of God is wider and deeper than we ever thought. So, sometimes we'll be triggered, and again, this happened on that page I was talking to you about, Sometimes individuals are triggered, even this topic, are going to be triggered because um, they've never had to really go back and revisit this particular topic. They just say, oh, I know what this is. It's a cubbyhole. Never have to think about it. It's clear. It's plain as day to me. And so suddenly somebody goes knocking on the cover of that box and going, hang on. Maybe it's not what we thought. Maybe there's more. What? I've listened. There are topics where I've gone completely from, um, and by the way, I haven't lost my faith. My faith has grown as a result. I've not lost Jesus or lost parts of him. No, I've gained more of Christ, so to speak, uh, or realized how much I've already had. I didn't know. So to explore these topics, don't be afraid. Don't fear what you're going to learn because Christ is the one in charge of your revelation. Just enjoy the ride and it can take you up some pretty big roller coasters. Anyway, folks, that's it for today. I hope you have a, a great day. Share this if you like. Um, I think these these four parts, I think we're going to end up having five or six at the most on this particular topic. It's the most I've done uh, on Still Growing in Grace. But again, this is a big topic. And I love how it's gently being, the threads are being pulled out. And I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, look forward to next week. I think you'll really enjoy it. You guys have a fantastic week, and we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.
Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.